0: Good morning. Good Good to see you all here this morning. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Colossians 3.15 Tonight resumes the video series with R.C. Sproul, Dust to Glory. Uh, We just did one, right? Great start, though. (laughs) So come out and be with us. I'm sure you'll uh, uh, enjoy um, the lectures. No choir for the summer. Uh, Special music, I presume that's a special music night. See Jared, prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. There's Andrea's number still. Attention, nursery workers. Changes are coming. Uh, We need two more volunteers that are willing to serve. See Jolene if you're interested in helping. Also funding for the renovations of the nursery. See Jess or Dan. Days of Praise booklets are here for the quarter, along with new acts and facts for June. SGBA camp coming really soon, July 15th through 20th. There's a need for men counselors. See Laura or Jared if you're interested in helping. Uh, more information in the next few well not the, not a lot of few weeks because it'll be here in a few weeks um, check the social calendar sheet that's available on the front pew I think there's some copies left and again um, you'll see the note there on the nursery project alright anything I've missed overlooked Our scripture for meditation this morning, First Chronicles 16, 7 through 36. stand together and open our service in prayer. Phil will you open first?
1: your favorite.
2: Morning, please take your Brown Hymnal and turn to number 556, 556 in the Brown.
3: years of life. At, uh, but also as a side note, believe it or not, uh, in England soccer is a tremendous game, popular game, thousands and thousands. And I used to go on after school we be able to catch the second half of these games. But there's a tradition there that the, all the fans begin singing a cappella. Somebody just starts it. And it goes on basically to continue the whole game. Well, the game's going on and everything. And once in a while, hymns will sound, believe it or not. And I do remember this one being sang, being in the presence. Sad to say, that's when I think England was basically a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can say that anymore. But anyway, it was a kind of long winded But uh, that's my reading. Good Good memories. Thank you.
0: This morning is taken from Colossians, the third chapter, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 17.
1: Would you please stand with us as we go through this? Colossians, the third chapter, verse 1 through 17, page 1834 in your pew Bible. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. May God add his rich blessings to this inspired word.
4: Be seated. Jared's going to give us a little review of our conference the other day.
5: Good morning. How are you today? <laughs> I'll try it again. Good morning. <laughs> it's a good day even though it's raining outside, right? It's a day the Lord has made. Uh we were pastor and I were at uh, uh the annual conference from the SGBA uh this week. Uh we went down Thursday, heard a message on Thursday night and then all day Friday and then they had one more rather lengthy session uh yesterday morning with followed with a question and answer. Um, and it was um, Disciple-making within the church, and this is just a little thing I brought back, uh, the pastor, Tim Potter, from Grace Church of, get the, get the, the city's name, Mentor, M-E-N-T-O-R, and he's talking about disciple-making. That's kind of a neat thing. Um, at any rate, he, we had heard him at the men's conference, some of you that went there, um, and he was able to, this time, kind of expand on, on what he was talking about. I want to read to you... Um, the verses he read at the beginning, uh, it's Matthew 28:16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Pastor Tim was talking about how we have probably, the majority of churches have missed the Great Commission. We talk about making disciples and how do we usually speak about it? We send missionaries, right? And we support missionaries. We send other people, to do the disciple making when his whole thing was talking to us about no you go and you make disciples teaching them and how we have probably shluffed off a lot of our responsibility uh to some other person. Uh we talked also about the fact that it's often left to the to the professional people because that's what our culture is about. We let the professionals take care of things, but Jesus's mandate Uh, was to the people that were in front of him and then that they were to make disciples and they were to make disciples and so on and so forth and so we got hit pretty hard in fact uh, Pastor Schenkel when he got up there at the end of the first session his first words to us as as a group was ow and we were all sitting there going the same thing licking our wounds Uh, very hard to hear because one of the things he said is if you're not making disciples you're living in disobedience because this is Jesus' commandment to us and Jesus also said if you love me you will keep my commandments. This is a big one. It's the last commandment before he's gone and how the churches have missed this. Um, And then he decided uh, through the rest of the course to show us how it was enacted at his church. It is not a quick process. We have been so ingrained with Americanized worship And, and he was telling us that some of the people that he is going to work with in other countries have been trying to pattern their worship after ours. The problem with that is if our worship services and if our churches are dysfunctional, we're, we're spreading that onto to other people. We're exporting American worship, and it's not necessarily biblical. Okay, So we have a great responsibility as the sending nation, at least in this point in history, to get our acts straight. Um, and so he went through that and showed us how his church moved um, from one thing to another, being convicted of, of the sin that they had and making a change and it didn't happen overnight it took a long time and they're still in the process and what they have going the things he was reporting to us is the and men and women who were there at the conference i could feel myself saying that's what church should be about that's what it should look like um, they meet together every person has somebody they're either discipling or they're being discipled by there's always somebody they're working with in close context with and uh in our society, when you think about where we're headed, we're heading towards isolation, keeping our distance from people. We're in communication quickly, very fast, but we're not face-to-face. There's not many relationships that are deep and lasting, and the church is the stand as counterculture to that. So he gave us some material, and I just want to read it back to you. Win one. Pray to see one friend come to Christ. Lead one. Every believer can disciple another. Follow one. Always have an older believer whose example you are following, and take one. Grow in your knowledge with one Bible study or class per year together. The idea is together they study together. So it was, it was very convicting, but it was also very neat to see what God had done in this particular church and how that's kind of spreading to other churches that He's uh, talking with. He was a very gracious speaker, and. Um, wants to share his resources, has made ways from from their church to send people for free to to seminars that they're working on to try to do this. I was very encouraged by the way he spoke, and uh, I wish there were more people uh, that were able to hear this message. We will have the messages that he spoke um, readily available to Thornville. Uh, We'll have it up on our site very soon. It is already on the SGBA website. I encourage you to listen to them. I'll try to get some links for that going as the webmaster for both of those. Um, but I would just encourage us as a, as a congregation to, to take this idea in prayer. It's the way, where it starts. Are we following the Great Commission? Or are we leaving it to the professionals? And when I say professionals, in our own church, we often think, often, that the pastors should be doing those things. Okay, but the mandate was to everybody. If you're my disciples, you will do these things. So, we need to stop thinking along those lines. Take it as a matter of prayer, and let's see what God will do in our own congregation.
2: back up for our him him before the message <clears throat> turn to 560 in the brown hymnal 560
4: Scripture text this morning is Colossians chapter 3. In our last look at Joyful Souls, which is our series. We looked at the joy of worship and we discovered that God actually commands us to worship him and him alone because apart from him there is no God. The word worship both in the Hebrew text if you're talking Old Testament or the Greek text if you're talking New Testament both words mean to bow before in reverence and obedience so it's to bow down. The exodus from Egypt was all based upon Moses' insistence that Israel be permitted to go into the wilderness to worship God. He kept bringing this up before Pharaoh all the time. And every plague that God brought upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians demonstrated that their gods, which were idols, were not worthy of worship. And that Israel's God was the only true God. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, saying, I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Probably won't find a more stubborn statement on the, from the human heart than that in the scriptures. I don't know the Lord, and no, you're going to stay right here. Why do the Israelites keep saying, let us go out? into the wilderness, worship God. Well, we drew a spiritual lesson that we cannot worship God in Egypt. Egypt stands in scripture for the world culture. Instead, we have to come out of it. God drove Israel out by the horrific plagues of death, which took the life of every firstborn Egyptian in the land and also the firstborn of every livestock. They spoiled Egypt in that the Egyptians paid them gold and silver and goods to leave Egypt. Go, get out of here, go now. I might say they were driven out of Egypt. We learned that Israel, however, this is the sad part, Israel, however, took Egypt with them in their heart in their hearts, coloring their experiences as slaves with rosy-tinted glasses, forgetting all too soon the torturous treatment of the taskmasters and the death they experienced as slaves in Egypt. If we're part of the world, we're going to die part of the world, and that's not pleasant whatsoever. And then we close by talking about the joy of worship. Today we want to look at the joy of a thankful heart. The joy of a thankful heart. And as we do, let's ask the Lord to bless us. Our Father, we pray that you will teach us to be thankful people. It is very true that America is one of the greatest if not the greatest, blessed nation in the world. Blessed materially. Blessed with order and stability. Even blessed with the privilege of being able to meet as we're doing now to worship God as we see fit. A little town of Thornville and a little country church. Without fear of reprisal, without fear of Police knocking at our door and taking us off to prison. These are not small liberties that we have. They are not small blessings from God. So, Lord, teach us to be thankful. And tomorrow, I mean, today, as we look at the joy of a thankful heart, help us to zone in on some of the areas where we need to be thankful. And maybe challenge us, Lord, where we have not been thankful. We'll praise you for what you're going to do through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. We're looking this morning at the joy of a thankful heart. I could say it this way, that thanksgiving breeds peace, and those at peace are thankful. It works together. Our text, Colossians 3, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And be thankful. Observe, Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So here's the question, does God's peace rule in your heart? We are at peace with God concerning the sin which made us his enemy because in Christ, the hostility caused by our sin has been dealt with, paid for, eradicated by the blood of Jesus, our substitute. We can say with Paul, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Paul encouraged this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 5 through 7. I could say it this way that a thankful heart is a peaceful heart. It's content, it's satisfied. It's at rest, it's not agitated by the circumstances of life. Now it's not that we are oblivious to the turmoil of life, but rather that when adverse things intrude into our world we're still we are still at peace because of our confidence in God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Oh, come on now. Wait a minute here. (laughs) How can God ask us to do such a very difficult thing? Really? Thanks in all circumstances? My cancer diagnosis? My pink slip notice at work that I'm going to be laid off? My rebellious son, my rebellious daughter who is on breakneck speed to destruction through drugs and lawlessness and crime. Really? am I supposed to be thankful for those circumstances? The answer is yes, absolutely. And here's why. Circumstances, as we like to say, do not come our way by the fickle finger of fate. They come our way by the hand of Almighty God who is working His will for His glory and for our eventual good. Eventual good. Providence, not lady luck, rules your life and mine. It rules the lives of unbelievers too, but they just don't acknowledge God in such things. Well, we do or should. Job knew this when all of his children were killed in a day. When the house in which they were dining collapsed on them. It says he fell to the ground and he worshipped and he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised say, well, then he didn't much love his children. No, no, you're missing the point. He loved God more. And he trusted God to do what was right. David knew this when his own son Absalom led a successful revolt against his kingdom and he, David, was forced to flee Jerusalem, the capital city. Elijah knew this when Jezebel sent out her assassins to hunt him down to try to kill him because she didn't much like his preaching. The widow of Nain knew this when her only son died and she was left to mourn. Paul knew this when he prayed for deliverance of the thorn in his flesh tormenting him not only once but three times and God refused to heal him. Paul, the great apostle, unanswered prayer. Three times, unanswered prayer. What consoled his heart is God saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not taking this away, but I will give you grace to endure. The people of the world will not be thankful for any of these kinds of adverse events because they have no appreciation for and no love of God. Rather, they may do and often do blame God for injustice in these things. They'll blame him, but they won't thank him. And they will not because they cannot. The Bible teaches that peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit being in a person's life. Galatians 5 verse 22. The peace of God. But of the unbelieving, Isaiah writes, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah 48 verse 22. They're always in turmoil of spirit. So when adversity comes, oh, they might get God into the dialogue, but it'll be to blame him or to curse him, but not to thank him. And that's the second point, that ingratitude is the portion of a greedy and discontent heart. Much of the discontent that we see in the world these days, and especially in such countries as Italy, Spain, Venezuela, Greece, where people are rioting in the streets, vandalizing property, attacking government buildings and officials, is due to the entitlement mentality of their socialistic governments. See, what do you mean by that? Well, their countries are in trouble, financially, that is. Many of them are on the verge of complete bankruptcy. The country, the countries. Do their citizens care? Are they willing, let me ask that question, are they willing to pull together for the good of all? Oh, no, not on your life. They are rioting to keep the government checks coming. And they're willing to see the country fail, if need be, as long as they get their check. Well, before we become too smug and condescending, America is not far behind. Do you know that our national debt is over $23 trillion, with a trillion dollars being added to the debt every year? Say, "Well, well, I don't care about that. Yes, you do. You do care. It affects your loans on your houses, your cars. It affects your wages, your income. But people in America want their entitlements too. Worse, we expect the government to do more for us. In fact, we're coming into the midterm elections, and what are we hearing from the politicians? They are promoting greed for more money to come to their state. <laughs> I have not heard one politician from a state say, you know, guys, we have, we've got a surplus in our state. We don't need more money. You guys in Washington, just keep it and spread it among all the other states. You'll never hear that. Let me tighten the noose a bit further by saying that the church is not immune from greed and discontentment. When the economy is tight, we become tight. In the past, our church has had difficulty with meeting budget. We have much to be thankful for, yet discontent will rob us of peace It'll rob us of thankfulness if we let them. It's important that we remain faithful in our stewardship, else God may just see to it that we have less than we have now. So we better watch griping or complaining. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, verse 5 and six. Paul writes something very similar to Timothy, but with more assertiveness. He writes, but if we, if we, Timothy, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. (coughs) We will. He goes on. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of people, and some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. First Timothy six verses eight through ten. Young Timothy, you new pastor, pastor, pastor of the Ephesian church, being instructed by the apostle Paul, watch out for greed. Watch out for a love for money. You know, we're not the first people to be concerned about the future and we will not be the last. But God has proven himself faithful to all who trust him time and time again. How many times must he prove his fidelity to his people before his people start to trust him in the area where we have all these concerns and anxieties? Moses reminded the people of Israel, let me read it for you. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. Deuteronomy 2 verse 7. You've lacked nothing. Oh, do tell. Moses, do tell. Well, he goes on to tell. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 and 4. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Tell us more. Okay. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig for copper out of the hill. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Deuteronomy 8, verse 7 through 10. Anything else you can tell us, Moses? The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict you with the horrible diseases that you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. Deuteronomy 7, verse 15. Do you know that in Moses' day, none of the pagan nations do anything about personal hygiene or germs, but God's law contained all kinds of healthful regulations. A sore with a white hair in it indicated an infectious disease. And the person was to be isolated. Let me read it for you. When a man has lost his hair and he's bald, okay guys, (laughs) he's clean. If he has lost his hair from the forefront of his scalp and has a bald forehead, he is clean. But if he has a reddish white sore in his bald head or forehead, It is an infectious disease breaking out on his head or forehead. Leviticus 13, verse 40 through 42. So they were alerted to this. Again, writes Moses, the priest is to examine the mildew and isolate the effective article that has it for seven days. On the seventh day, he's to examine it. And if the mildew has spread in the clothing or the or the woven or knitted material, or the leather, whatever its use, it is a destructive mildew. The article is unclean. He must burn up the clothing or the woven or the knitted material of wool or linen or any leather article that has been contaminated in it, because the mildew is destructive. The article must be burned. Leviticus 13 verse 50 and follow. Again, he led you through the vast and desert wilderness, that thirsty and wasteless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the rock. Deuteronomy 8, verse 15. Or again, listen to this one. Designate a place outside the camp, think outhouse. Designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. And as part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover your excrement. Deuteronomy 23, verse 12 and 30. You say, oh, you mean that's in the Bible? Well, I just read it. It's in the Bible. Brethren, there are tons of script, tons of scriptures advocating. Washing of the body, washing of the clothes, washing of your utensils before you use them to cook. Washing before re-entering the camp after a quarantine. What was God doing? He was taking care of them and their future. I say again, the Israelites never saw a germ under the glass of a microscope they never had a doctor or a nurse teach them proper protocol of body hygiene. But God saw to it that they were kept healthy and strong as and if they obeyed his precepts. And by the way, the other nations knew nothing about any of us. This. this kind of personal hygiene. I suppose they learn by trial and error, like people do. But here's a God, the God, God of Israel, is actually instructing them and doesn't always tell them why they must do these things. He just says, you know, wash, clean your clothes. Somebody's having trouble with a disease, send them outside the camp for a while, have the priests observe them X number of days and so on. If this kind of a sore develops, you need to do this or that or what's... He doesn't necessarily tell them all of the details. just tells them to do it, and they had to trust God. What is more, they, like us, were warned about greed and discontentment. I would say the moral diseases that all mankind faces, not just the physical. You all remember the account of Achan and how he stole some of the booty from the victory of Israel over Jericho. Because it was the first triumph, God claimed the booty for himself, a tithe from the first fruit of victory. What you might not remember is that Achan's greed and contamination, or excuse me, I said it wrong, Achan's greed contaminated the whole country, the whole camp. Let me read it for you. Joshua 7, verse 11 and following. Joshua says, Israel not Achan. Listen to this. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken away some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possessions. And that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turned their back and ran because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Joshua 7, verse 11 and 12. What is God saying? He Achan's greed implicated all the Israelites. And his sin brought judgment on all of Israel. God did not just single out him for punishment. The armies of Israel were defeated, and the men there were men that died on the assault of Ai because of Achan. So may we be warned, and may we repent of those times when we, like Achan, have robbed God to pad our own little bank account. This shows an unbelieving, but more importantly, an unthankful heart—an unthankful heart. Me first. Me first, then God, maybe. Me with the cream of the crop, God with the leftovers. The very reversal of what the scripture teaches concerning the stewardship of both our gifts and our resources. Now what are some of the ways to express thanksgiving to God? Number one, I've listed music. Music. The psalmist says, you turn my wailing into dancing. You ever seen these Oriental people sometimes? When they, they wail at funerals. But the psalmist is saying, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth. You clothe me with a joy that my heart... May sing to you and not be silent, O oh Lord my God. I will give you thanks forever. Psalm 30 verse 11 and 12. In 1st Chronicles 16, David appointed certain men to lead in worship. Let me read it. That day David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the lord give thanks to the lord call on his name make known among the nations what he has done sing to him sing praise to him tell of his wonderful acts glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the lord rejoice first chronicles 16 verses 7 through 10 <coughs> you might respond to say well They were professional singers and musicians. And you're right, they were. But their role as the professional singers was to lead the people in worship. And here it is. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. First Chronicles 16, same chapter, verses 28 through 30. Our own text, Colossians 3. We look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with, what's the next word? gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whatever in word and deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, verse 16 and 17. Our singing that we do in our songs, song times and so forth, is to express gratitude from the Thanks to God for his goodness. The Psalms were Israel's hymn book. Their longings, their aspirations, their fears, their joys, it's all in there. And our hymn book consists of the same, set to music. What I'm saying is that God isn't looking for professionally trained soloists. Just thankful people singing from their hearts. That's what he's looking for. We can thank God in our music. By the way, we've gotten away from fifth Sunday months. Fifth Sunday months. The fifth Sunday evening is supposed to be a music night for all of us to come together and sing. We need to get back to that. So we we can thank God in in our music, but in our prayers we can also thank God. Now again, we don't know how to pray. Paul says we don't know how to pray. And so he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Romans 8 verse 27. The Spirit deals with our selfishness and our wrong prayers by making them right. Interceding on our behalf for the will of God. Learn, however, that we can pray God's word back to him. And you're always safe praying God's word back to him. Because it's his word. It's his will. What do we learn about prayer in the Bible? Well, one dominant trait is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. An edict went out for, from the king in Daniel's day forbidding the people to pray to God. Can you believe that? Well, it's coming to America. You can be sure there. Eventually an edict that says to the people of the country, you cannot pray. Now when Daniel learned about the decree and had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed what? He prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel 6, verse 10. Oh, wait a minute, Daniel. What do you have to be thankful for? You have just received an edict from the king that you are not allowed to pray. And you're thanking God. The list for thanking God is without limit. Psalm 118, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. Wow, you could thank him for being a good God. Do you ever think about what it would be if he were a bad God? An evil God? You'd be in trouble, so would I. Verse 21, same chapter, Psalm 118. I will give you thanks for you answered me. So answered prayer. reason to thank God. Also in that same verse, you have become my salvation. There's something for which we pray and thank God. Moving on to Psalm 136. Give thanks to the God of God's, his love endures forever. Psalm 136, verse 2. Jesus taught by examples. Seating the people on the ground, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Matthew 14, verse 19. Prayer and thanks for his, to God for his bounty. Every once in a while it's encouraging to me if I'm in a restaurant and I'll see a, a family sitting together and before they eat they bow their heads and pray and give thanks. Now I do the same, but what I'm thankful for is to see that others are doing the same. That I'm not alone in that. That there are more of us out there than you think. Because God has his people everywhere. So we thank God in prayers. We say the words, yes, but we express thankful thoughts. Thirdly, in tithes and offerings. God's promise for Jeremiah to Israel was this. The sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of a bride and a bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank-offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, his love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. Jeremiah 33, verse 11. You ever think of that? That your offering is a thank offering to the Lord. You say, Well, I don't have much. No, maybe you don't, but you have something. The tenth is all that God is requiring and offering is you volunteering above the tenth. It's your way to thank God for his goodness and to promote the gospel of grace. We all have something for which we can give. What about praise to God? Isaiah says, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That's Isaiah 12, verse 2. Or again, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise Give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalm 100, verse 4. Psalm 52, verse 9. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name, I will hope for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. You say, well, what's the point? Well, there are many, many ways in which we can express. Thanks to our great and gracious God. Our giving, we can praise him. In our singing, we can praise him. You just need to look and see what God has done and continues to do in your life. Now, what is the fruit of a thankful heart? Well, number one, a thankful heart has a check on the sin of greed. I don't know of any other way. A thankful heart has a check on the sin of greed. Well, what is greed? Well, when we say of a business baron, so-and-so is a greedy man. What do we mean? I was watching a documentary on the History Channel about the very difficult time that Henry Ford had to manufacture his automobile. It seems, and I didn't know this, but it seems there was an automobile cartel in America that had a stranglehold on manufacturing. And the cars they produced were luxurious cars driven by chauffeurs. Whereas Ford wanted to produce an automobile for the average citizen, his design was simple, but more importantly, his plan was simple for an assembly line dramatically dropping the cost of the cars. He had a little startup capital, but he still had to fight in court because the cartel intended to impose a royalty, get this now, a royalty owed to them on every car he produced. (coughs) So like, like they were saying, you have to get our permission to produce cars. We are the car people. You have to come to us to produce cars. Oh, you don't want to come to us? Well, then you have to pay a royalty to us for every car that you produce, which of course, <coughs> I want you to think about that. Wouldn't that have driven the car up to the price of their cars? And it would have bankrupted him? Providentially, providentially. It was at this very juncture in our history when the judicial system was taking Rockefeller to task for his monopoly of the oil production, taking J.P. Morgan to task for his stranglehold on Wall Street financiers, taking our Andrew Carnegie to court for his sole control of the steel industry. These were all manufactured barons and while these men were recognized as the movers and shakers of american world uh, the american and world economy the congress passed this is what it was passed the anti-monopoly legislation in our country and they did this citing what greed as the reason for the legislation good for them Ford's lawsuit was in the courts at this very time, and so he won against the auto cartel, and the rest, as you know, is history. What is greed? <coughs> well, the Greek word for greed means the desire to have more. OK, I'm read on the desire to have more, along with the willingness to say or do whatever is necessary to get more. Oh. Paul gives God's definition of greed. Here it is. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, Evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Ah, that's what greed is. Colossians three verse five. And you can see that Paul's lists greed with some pretty serious sins, is the underlying sin of idolatry, the worship of things be they material or things like power or manipulation or prestige or, you know, people that are control freaks. You can be greedy in that department. Thankful hearts, however, have a check upon the sin of what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you, asks James. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something. Yeah, there it is. But you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. There's the problem. You quarrel, you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Oh, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. What's the wrong motive? That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Well, that's a neat thing for prayer. We just pray for things that are going to satisfy my pleasures. James goes on, you adulterous people. You pleasure seekers. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James 4, the first four verses. Greed is the way the world functions. There's no dependency on God. It's every man for himself. Taking, stealing, manipulating the circumstances so that they come out on top. That's all part of a greedy heart. Which is itself an evidence of an unthinkful heart. Then Jesus said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, verse 15. If you're thankful for what you have and what you're able to do, that will become a check on the sin of greed. It's unthankful people that are greedy people. They want more and more and more and more and more. Got to have more. Got to have more. And that's my next point: is a thankful heart is a content heart. Thankful heart is content. Greed issues from not being content, but always wanting more, no matter what it takes to get it. Contentment issues from a heart that is appreciative of what is already in place as a result of God's providential oversight. Paul places emphasis on life's essentials. He writes it this way. Godliness with contentment. Yeah, Godliness with contentment. That's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. That's a good point. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. He also points out that contentment does not happen automatically. But it is a learned grace that comes from the Lord. Let me read it for you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. He's writing to the church that's finally helping him, the church at Philippi. Let me read it again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Last phrase there, I'm thankful you sent me the care package. But his point is, if I hadn't gotten the care package... I would have still been content. I would have still been able to praise God. Philippians 4, verse 10 through 14. Well, does this mean that we should never replace our old car with a new car? Does it mean that we should never buy new clothing or some recreational vehicle? No, it doesn't mean those things. But it will mean purchasing only what is necessary and not going overboard. It may be a used car at half the price of a new car. Maybe maybe clothing on the discount racks rather than the latest thing out at Macy's department store. Why? Paul tells us, here's why. We have brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of that. Jesus' haunting reminder. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that reminder is undergirded with a promise Do not worry, (laughs) saying, well, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. A little private note here. Donna was always commended for dressing very well, she had nice clothes. She believed that she had to dress. Professionally, because of her position as the director of the center, what most people don't know is (laughs) where she got her clothes. She got them from Goodwill or the Salvation Army store down in Oxford. We didn't have one here in Lapeer at the time. Why would you drive down to Oxford to buy clothes at a used store? Well, she had a brain on her shoulders. The Oxford area, as <laughs> opposed maybe a little bit, opposed to the Lapeer area, is full of professional people. You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? it means that they would take their wardrobes into the, see, the Salvation Army and donate them there. Name brand dresses, skirts, blouses, you name it, they would go there. So Donna could buy Macy-type clothing for pittance and still look good. Oh, that... Donna Luke, she must be making good money. Fred must be really rolling in the cash. Look at the way she dresses. Yeah. Look at the serpent's heart. And understand how she dresses. I don't begrudge that. I'm praising the Lord for that. I could have been married to a woman that, and I don't care what you say. I'm heading to Hudson's. I'm heading to Macy's. I'm heading here, there, everywhere. I'm buying new off the rack. I got to look good. What is is it that you're living for? Ask yourself that. Money? A sporty new car. Ooh. I was visiting in New York and I had a relative and he comes zipping into the driveway in his sporty new car. He wanted to show me how It had all the amenities that you could get on a car. All of these things should be of secondary concerns. You want it from the lips of Christ? Here it is. What good will it be for a man... If he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, verse 26. What are you living for? Well, I got money in the bank. Okay. I have a wonderful retirement. When I retire, I won't have to worry about a thing. Uh, When you die, where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to spend your retirement from this life? That was what Jesus was saying. What good will it be for a man if he gains everything, and yet it costs him his soul. A thankful heart is a contented heart. Auger's Prayer, Auger, how would how'd, how'd you like to have that name? Auger McLeod, George. Amen. A-G-U-R. Here's his prayer. I'm so thankful. It's in the Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 7 and following. His prayer is worthy of our contemplation. Here's what he prays. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Okay, what's your two things? Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Make me an honest man. Make me a righteous man. Prayer request number two. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Augur, why would you pray such a thing? No one prays like that. Let me, did I hear that right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Why would you pray that, Augur? He gives us the answer. Otherwise, he says, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who's the Lord? Interpretation, I don't need God. I got money in the bank. Why, I'm heading to Bermuda next month. Oh, not on a vacation. I'm I'm building a home down there. No, I don't want that much money. Because if I have that much money, I may disown the Lord. I might be like Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That was Pharaoh. Second reason. I just want my daily bread. Why? I don't want too much. If I have riches, I might deny the Lord. But what if I have too little? What if I am impoverished? Or, he says, I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Here's a great Proverbs for being a middle of the rotor. Someone wants to accuse you of being a middle of the rotor. Take him to Proverbs 30, verse 7 and following. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me two number two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Oh, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Boy, this guy thought it through, didn't he? He looked at the pendulum and he said, Lord, my prayer is that the pendulum not swing either too far left or too far right. Just give me my daily bread right there in the middle. That's where I need to be we're so blessed brethren we need to keep a proper perspective with regard to what we have, what we own where we're going, what we're spending our money on, what we're saving our money for and what about your skills and abilities are you using them for the Lord that's a stewardship as well very very important Father we thank you for your word teach us the truth of what we're learning today Help us to pray like Augur prayed. And not just to pray it, but to live it. Yes, keep falsehood and lies far from us. We want to be righteous people. And we want to display that righteousness in the fact that we're not hoarding after riches, wanting more, 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 more. Nor are we impoverished to the place where we're going to steal something and dishonor the name of the lord we need to be work working people energetic earn our own keep and have something of a surplus writes paul that we might be generous and give to others that will also check the problem of greed if we learn to be gracious people thank you dear christ we learn it from you you and your grace came down from glory To sacrifice yourself, to give your very life that we might become rich. Though you were rich, you emptied yourself. That we, through your poverty, might become rich. For that one here today that is living for material things, I mean, their heart is full of greed. They never have enough. They're never happy. They're never satisfied. More, 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 more. Deliver them from the lust of idols, Lord. And for us who know what it is to be blessed by God, help us to be thankful, to be thankful, to be content. To the praise of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the Brown Hymnal, number 557. 557. Let's stand together and we'll sing. We're so blessed in this country we need to be thankful whatever you have whatever you can do whatever your abilities whatever your propensities all of those things are gifts of God you know sometimes when I'm um, going about um, you know shopping whatever I will see a disabled person in Walmart, Kmart something like that they're in a wheelchair or they're walking with uh, crutches. Not too well either. I just came back from conference and there was some disabled people there. I don't have pity but I say, Lord Jesus thank you for what you've done for me. What you've done for me. Normally I wouldn't think about those things but when I see people in those kind of conditions then My heart is pricked and my conscience is stirred. And I'm thinking, you know, but for the grace of God, that could be you in the wheelchair. It could be you on crutches. We need to be thankful. We need to have our eyes wider open peripherally. Not just tunnel vision, but peripherally so we can see people around us and what the Lord is doing and what he has done for us. Well, tonight, we meet downstairs, and we're, we're studying Sproul's series on From Dust to Glory. Sproul went to be with the Lord this year, but uh, probably you won't find a better theologian. We don't agree with him on every point. You don't have to agree with a person on every point to really learn and grow from him and his exposition of the word of God. So come out. The fellowship is sweet. The food is good. And the teaching is good. See you tonight at 6.